You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. I'm Michelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. As usual, we like to welcome everyone back and remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on their preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. That's You Don't Sound Autistic, YDSA on Facebook. We like to welcome our listeners from different countries and all over the world and also all the new people that are on the Facebook group. And I also like to would, would like to point out, I also like to would, I would like to point out that we've had some uh, some good posts in the last uh, day or two. So everyone that's contributing, that's great. And everyone that's not contributing, what the hell's wrong with you? Come on. Contribute, <laughs> damn it. We want to know what's on your mind. We want to know what's on your mind. Tell us your artistic thoughts. Um, and then also we have the website now, you don't sound autistic.com where you can check out episode. So no, God damn it. Am I episode. It off on you? Sh- yes. <laughs> episode show notes and links to reference materials in, uh, episode post. And, uh, what is it? Check out the brain hugs or shop to find the products that we use to manage our daily lives. Is that something that you wrote? Well, yeah. Cause you kept saying it wrong. Okay. You kept telling. Yeah. So I had to fix it. Great. And for our new listeners, Rochelle's new spiel explaining the podcast. Thank you, Blake. You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week, we do our best to represent both neuro perspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. All right. Well, we're two minutes in. Okay. Got lots to talk about. Yeah. Today, I was thinking, I actually came up with the topic heading before I thought to do any research whatsoever. Just because I thought it sounded cool. Okay. ADHD and autism, forgetfulness, and working memory. And not only did you come up with it, but you remembered it. I wrote it down. Oh, well, there's that. No, I didn't remember it at all. (laughs) I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Oh, there you go. But it's because I've been seeing, you know, as I see posts and I scroll through Facebook and I go on Instagram, uh, the gram as the kids call it. And to go on the TikTok, um, I see different posts about about memory, and I know that that's an issue for me because one of the things that happens even while we're recording this podcast is that you'll be in the middle of saying something, and I forget what you said mm-hmm. from the beginning. So you know, it makes it it makes it hard for me to kind of keep up with the podcast that I'm on. It's a fair point. I can tend to package too many things together and trigger 
both working memory challenges from the ADHD standpoint and the autism standpoint, and they they function very differently between the two. Really? Didn't you make some kind of uh, something for me to read? Uh huh. Left screen. Left screen. PowerPoint. Where's, oh, there it is. Oh, look at that. Start at the top. Up here. Am I supposed to read this, or is it just a uh, reference for me to look back at? I mean, both. It's up to you, however you want to play it. But um, when we started talking about this, I thought, you know, I better do a little bit of prep work because short-term um, memory issues and forgetfulness are two very prominent um, components of ADHD and autism, but they function very differently and for very different reasons in the brain. And so I was like, you know, putting our P's and Q's together on this one is going to be important, especially because I'm dyslexic and can tend to mix things up. I thought, you know, important place to not mix things up. Don't you mean ups things mix? I do, actually. Yeah. You ups things mix them sometimes? I do, I do all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. I've heard. <laughs> I do not mean to. I feel like I sound like an idiot, but, you know, eventually after 40 years, you just accept that how it came out of your mouth and, and you hear it in your ears is not how it was intended and there's nothing I can do about it. You have dyscalculia too, right? Uh, yeah, I What's do. What's three plus, three plus three minus six? Quick. What's what? Three plus three minus six. <sighs> A zero. Look at you. I was watching some cl- some clip on TikTok. I'm a TikToker now. Mm-hmm. I I love the TikTok because it's it's bite sized information for my ADHD brain. <laughs> sure, it's perfect. But uh, they were going around and it was funny. They were it was a uh, what's the show with Jane Lynch that where she's the host of some kind of game show. I don't know. Um, let me look that up because. Uh, I just know her from Lynch, Glee, but that wasn't a game, game show. show. She's on Not Hollywood Game Night. What the hell is that show? Talking about Hollywood da, da, Squares? Da, da. No, it's not Hollywood. Oh, she's the host of The Weakest Link. Okay. You remember that show from back in the day? Long time ago, yeah. So there's a round... You know, like horseshoe-ish shape of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly how the show works because it was just from a clip and it's been a long time since I actually watched it. But they just ask questions, boom, 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 boom. And they ask different questions of each person. And if you don't get the question right, then they tell you the answer. So they're going through and they're asking all these different questions. And they're all pretty easy. Some of them are hard. But then they get to the one question for this lady. And it was like, um, if the rapper 50 Cent lost a dime and a nickel from his name what would he be known as 35 cent the lady just goes uh, pass <laughs> i can do i can do minor uh, math like but conceptual math is a struggle for me and um, the lady couldn't get 35 and then they went to her again with some other question mm-hmm. and it was another super easy one and she oh god i wish i could remember that one because the 50 cent one stood at the most because i was like a nickel and a and a dime i was like 35 cents right <laughs> it was like because <laughs> it was so easy that like i questioned myself mm-hmm. anyway um yeah let's get back into see 
forgetfulness and poor working memory. <laughs> this lady that's why I made his notes. was in trouble. Okay. Um, bodily functions. Right. Well, because a lot of times we think of this like working memory and forgetfulness. It dominates most of your experience, right? And it dominates most of your experience because in in reality, 80 to 90% of your brain is on what we call the autonomic nervous system, which means it runs automatically. So the autom- the autonomic nervous system is in charge of... Spell autonomic. Just kidding. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Be lucky if I can... I can spell it. I just don't know if I can do it. From- do you know who um, Patrice O'Neill is? I'm on a ten- in a tangential mood tonight. Okay. Do you know who... I know the pa- name. Patrice O'Neill. Yeah. Very funny comedian, passed away several years ago. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen him, audience, check him out. He's hilarious. Very controversial because he's just, he's kind of a dick, but like it's part of his shtick. He's just very funny. But he does, uh, oh fuck, where was I going with this? I don't know. I oh, because he was talk. he talks about um, typing and how he didn't realize typing was going to be an issue. And then he was like, or spelling. Um Cause he's like, if you were to ask me to spell restaurant, mm-hmm. he's like R E S T A R O N T, something like that. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Well, the autonomic nervous system controls um, autopilot mode, which is like the default mode network, um, and that's things like your habits and patterns, you know, the neuropathway development of thoughts and feelings, creativity, emotions, personality beliefs, values, cognitive biases, long-term memory, and muscle memory. But it also is the primary mechanism in control of the fight-or-flight response, which is um, bodily functions, heart rate, digestion, immune function, respiratory rate, pulpillary... Your eyes. Pupillary. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Response. I can't read it well. Pupillary. Pupillary. There's not even an L there. I could read. Well, see, I don't have my, my font size big enough on my phone. Pupillary. You've, you've got the computer. Urination and um, sexual arousal. But as we oh. know that that's the same thing that you're either in fight or flight or you're in rest to digest. And that's all primarily con- uh, controlled by like the vagus nerve and, you know, the amygdala and parts of the brain that kind of determine that you're in a threat but that's 80 to 90 percent of your brain does all of that automatically so even though it's a huge part of your day-to-day life it's really only 10 to 20 percent of what your brain focuses on throughout the day you know what they say Hmm. what happens in the vagus nerve (laughs) i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say the end okay okay so what's left in the ten to twenty percent is what we know as executive function. Wait, what? Did you already you already went through the autopilot mode stuff? Uh huh. See, that's my brain. I'm already forgetting things. That's okay. That's okay. But but executive. I can I can read. I have some of the stuff on here. Yeah, executive function. That's where like when you are in TikTok and you know you notice there's a lot more TikToks for ADHD than there is for autism. Have you noticed? There's rarely, and some people will use the word autism, and you're like, did you mean ADHD? Because you're talking, you know, so, but I don't see a ton about autism. I just see a lot about ADHD. But executive function challenges exist in both, um, so, but in different places. So it's important to know what executive function is. What is it? Um, it's intentional self-regulation, and there's eight different distinct brain activities that, 
um, fit into this category of intentional self-regulation? I see more than eight. Oh, dang. I think it's, well, I found, sorry, it's 12. But I combined a few. Can I read them? Please. Am I, am I going to read these right? I think it's 10. Yeah. I found I found some resources that said eight, some said ten, some said twelve. When I um, data crunched them all together, I could pull in into these ten. Okay. Should I read them? Please. Working memory, verbal and nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Adaptable, flexible thinking. Planning and prioritizing. Self monitoring. Emotional control. Time management. Task initiation organization, impulse control, self-restraint, defining and achieving goals, observation, and stress tolerance. Yep. That's executive function. Everyone throws the word around, oh, EF, oh, EF, my, my exec- that's my executive function, like you see it all the time, but not a lot of people take the time to really understand. I don't under- see it all the time. In the TikToks, and everyone, yeah, when... I see doctors informing on it, which is good. I see people sharing their own experiences, which is good. But um, I don't see a lot of people defining what goes, like what is really categorized under executive function. And so it's interesting, you know, working memory, which is what we're focused on tonight, is both verbal and nonverbal. So, you know, it's what you manage to say, but also what you're thinking about saying or what you're thinking about in between what you're saying. Like that's just as important sometimes if not more important well also remembering what someone else is saying so that you can say something yep and there so flip to the next slide slide number two what is working memory let's should i read that yeah please it's important to know i'm gonna read it with an accent give me an accent Ooh, do the uh uh, i always call him the gay russian but you call him the Gay Russian. Yeah, you tell me. Is it the Austrian? Austrian? Yeah. He's not gay. Oh. I think it's Austrian. Yeah, he's not gay. Okay, we'll do that one. He's just, you know, he had that one experience that one time. <laughs> In Amsterdam? Yeah. No, Austrian. <laughs> just go. Working memory is the brain's short-term storage space. When information is taken in, Working memory holds it for a short time while it processes the information, encoding it into useful data. From there, the information is stored in the long-term memory. Good job. Thank you. Can the Brooklyn accent read the working memory components? Yeah, of course, Snapahead. (laughs) 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 All right. Central Executive. Focuses attention, controls the flow of information into two other areas, and coordinates their activities. It also links working memory to long-term memory. Okay. Phonological loop. Takes in the information you hear. Yep, like auditory processing. Visio-spatial blank screen. Takes in the information you see and read. Phonological and visuospatial work separately so you can increase your memory by engaging both. Yeah, so that's like writing down. Wait, did you just almost do my accent for a second there? Yeah. 
You know I can only do like one random word at a one time. One word. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's all I get. Okay. Um, that's like when you're trying to remember someone's name and you write it down and you say it at the same time or a phone number. And you're like eight one three seven, and you go through it. Like you're, you're gonna give people your phone number? No, I was. <laughs> 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 no, I was gonna make it up. Um, and so the working memory components are important because what you hear and what you read you know, is kind of how you're bringing the data in, but that's not the same thing as your working memory functions. And that's what we're reading next. Yeah, can you be Irish? I can try. Let's see. <clears throat> it's been a while since I've done an Irish accent. <sighs> Let me see. Working memory functions. Roaring, maintaining, and rearranging information. Updating. Active monitoring of I can't do it. I, I can't do it right now. Uh, active. Give me that. Give me a different accent. I can't do Irish right now. Um, I don't remember all the ones you do. Really? Yeah. Let's just read it normally then. But that's uh, it's more fun to do. Okay, fine. Updating. Active monitoring of incoming information and replacing outdated information with more relevant ones. Okay, that's a big deal. Dual processing, maintaining information in the mind while doing another task. Yes. You know, another voice that I can do that you should have mentioned. Who? Gollum from Lord of the Rings. I don't like that voice, and I managed to forget about it because I don't like it. But I do it so well. But I don't like it, so I didn't remember about it, which you'll you'll appreciate as we get to the next I'm gonna slide. I'm going to read the next slide as Gollum. Oh, no, no. Way too much on this one to be Gollum. Please don't. Not the whole thing. I just, won't sleep. Just I, for a minute. I won't sleep. Just for a minute. Oh, God. I'm going to plug my ears. You guys go ahead and listen. What am I reading? <laughs> I don't know. You have to have a conversation. Yes. Oh, no. Autism, forgetfulness, and short-term working memory. Okay. Memory is organized differently. For autism. Let's start with autism. Yes. Because these... Oh, gosh. Stop. <laughs> I'm not... I didn't sleep last My night. My precious. No. <laughs> Why are you uh, moving the microphone from yourself? Because I don't want to squeal in people's ears. Okay. Ugh. Fair enough. Okay. Memory is organized differently. So, yes, let's start with autism. I'm reading that one. Go for it. Poor memory is for complex info in both word and picture form. Difficulty remembering information requiring cognitive organi organizing strategies to aid recall. Difficulty remembering information when required to detect an organizing element in the information itself. Autism lacks the auto... Nah, that's a fun <laughs> word. I <laughs> almost said autonomic. Automatic crosstalk between the reasoning and memory brain systems, which would tell the brain what is most important to notice or how to organize it thematically. Poor working memory for spatial information or remembering over time where things are located. Autism reflects differences in the development of brain connections with the frontal cortex. Meaningful memories are key. Autism creates a difficulty assigning meaning to information. Memory for everyday scheduling and tasks may be uninteresting and overwhelming, low memory meaning, but can recall facts and timelines for topics of interest. Memory summarization skills. When asked a question, ASD kids, adults, slash adults, will recall several data points at once and struggle to quickly categorize the data into talking points. Answers can seem like list, list, list? Lists. There's no S there. 
Answers can seem like lists of every single... That's why I got stuck. Lists of every single detail which make conversations strained and stressful. Executive function as an information overload challenge. Processing new information is a slower process in general. Add in stress from noticing missed details and the organization of the new information becomes scattered and less accessible during recall. Disassociation slash freeze and escape. Emotional dysregulation is always present, either overtly with meltdowns or covertly with hiding and retreating. Stress-induced amnesia due to overstimulation and underregulation of emotions can lead to forgetfulness. However, it's really a sign of the brain coping by shutting down. Okay, let's talk about that. Nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I spent quite a lot of time on this. Yes. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep. Yeah, whatever you're going to do. Snap ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, know so who, you know who that is, right? The accent that I'm not really doing, but I'm kind of copying? No. Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, yeah. I would not know that. So what did you think about this? Don't remember it. <laughs> what did you relate to the most? Um, I don't know. Why don't you summarize it? Well, I think the last four topics the meaningful memories are key the memory summarization skills executive function as an information overload challenge and the disassociation slash freeze and escape um those are really strong ways to um kind of create a profile if you will of how forgetfulness and short-term working memory um, present themselves because it's not like, you know, we've talked many times about how um, autism has this ability to almost like create a memory database that can rival, you know, computers in some ways. And I'm not talking Rain Man. I just mean, you know, that there's a really strong element of memory recall here. But it's the environment in which the information is taken in and the speed at which the information is taken in and then how interested or relevant that information is to the person that that quantifies how well it's remembered. And if you remember when you got your diagnosis, your doctor said to you, you process slower and so anything that speeds your brain up, anything that you're dietarily doing or lack of sleep or anything that has your brain racing is going to impact your ability to bring that information in and accurately file it. And she said, one of the reasons that you were so stressed and it was leading to your anxiety, at least at the time of the evaluation was that you didn't have a very good, um, internal memory organization system. And so you were all over the place and that's part of why you were so tangential. Yeah. I mean, I I I can be very tangential. I thought that that was more akin to the ADHD part of my brain. Well, it's another one of those crossover things. Tangential can be both. Okay. But I really liked the meaningful memories piece because, you know, I I see a lot of people. I I in my clients when I'm consulting, I I hear a lot of complaints of the the non-neurodivergent, like the neurotypical spouse that's saying oh my gosh, I don't understand how I can sit there and listen to, you know, two hours of their favorite 
show like a detail that they recount like every single thing that every person said that I don't give a damn about and yet when I'm trying to get them to help me with our kids schedules you know and and this and that we do together it just seems like none of that information sticks and it seems in ut- it's because you don't get to pick what your special interest is well but it's just not meaningful no but that's the thing that's hard is that it's like Declan's schedule is meaningful to me but it doesn't necessarily pique my interest in the same way that something else might no I agree and I don't get to pick that which is very frustrating I, I understand but I think being able to call it a meaningful memory is a better way of explaining it for everyone I think it's just you know is is his schedule meaningful well I mean it's important it doesn't make it meaningful it makes it required but you know that's why a lot of parents um, especially neurodivergent parents will keep themselves in a, a state of fight or flight whether they do it consciously or not it's very common um, among my clients to find that they are living in a chronic state of fight or flight because that alone keeps everything feeling urgent and it's like it's just a really brain taxing way to try and you know keep your brain alert to all the things so it's, if everything feels like a panic you're going to have a better chance of remembering it you know you wake up in a panic okay i got to do this i got to do that you know it, but it's just draining and and it's not it's not a lifestyle that works it's short term but you're going to burn yourself out real fast and that's assuming you only have autism you know since most people have both or there's a large percentage that do learning how ADHD handles forgetfulness and short-term working memory is also very important because um, it uses completely different mechanisms to create these challenges. What are you doing to the microphone? It looks like you're eating something, it out. It feels like something is like a, I don't know, like cat hair or something. Oh, that's, you have a chin hair. I don't. I know I don't. No, I mean, want me to pluck it? No, I know I don't. Nope, I know I don't. You have a little beard growing. I do not. Want me to read the next no. part? <laughs> so think we'll just keep going. So like how do you feel about that? You I am not autistic, so I know this to be true in terms of of how I interact with you and how I interact with Declan and my research, but this isn't something I live and experience. So Yeah. So what's your question? So how does this feel for you? I mean it sucks. Is that not a good answer? How, do you ever notice when you go into disassociation and freeze? I don't really... Emotional dysregulation is always present. Um, stress-induced amnesia. Maybe. I feel like a lot of times I, I'm, I'm masking so well that I cover this stuff up. So like I'm in a conversation with someone, like work, for example. Mm-hmm. And someone will be talking to me about something and I sit there and I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Right on. But if they were to really be like, repeat what I just said, I'd be like, fuck you. (laughs) I have no idea what you just said. Well, we've learned how to act our way through it, of course. Um, But that is part of disassociation. You just kind of stand there and go through the motions. Right. I mean, that's what I do. It's very frustrating. Um a lot of times I'll be having a conversation with someone. Like I said, this podcast is a good example because there's times where Rochelle is talking and I'm like, I don't have any idea what she's talking about right now. Yeah. She sure looks pretty. <laughs> um, 
And then I'm like, ooh, look at this. Then I'm sitting here looking at like pictures that she has on the wall, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what she got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Anything else you want to add or any experiences you want to relate to? Well, maybe toward the end, because I don't honestly, like, it's hard because if 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 I'm autistic and I have ADHD, I can't disassociate. Oh, so you might not even know how ADHD plays into this. Okay. I don't I don't know which one is which when okay. it's happening to me because it's not my moment. I'm like, wow, I feel really autistic right now or wow, this is my ADHD coming right. full form. No, and it probably I just, wouldn't. It, it's just me. Sure. Well, as you know, um, ADHD, a lot of people have, have created their own little um, meanings for it. And, you know, it, it's... It's currently called an attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which many people have picked apart in terms of its accuracy of using those words. Another uh, I think it's the word deficit people don't like. Well, I also believe inattention, like inattentive is another part of it I struggle with as we're learning more and more and more and more about the brain chemistry of it. Because inattentive gives you this idea that like you have a, f- a lack of focus issue and the word focus is one of those mirror words, meaning that like the concept of focusing can be applied to several different scenarios and it can mean slightly different things in each. And it's often incorrect with ADHD, even ADD, because you're usually focused on something. It just may not be the prior to the priority that someone else wants. Like you don't follow that pre-written prioritization of, oh, I got to you know, get myself out the door on time and do this on time and do this. Like you could, you could be prioritizing some thought you had and researching it, you know, 20 minutes on your phone and be late for work. You know, it's not like you're, you're not having a problem focusing because you're focused on whatever you're interested on. You're having a, a problem compartmentalizing and prioritizing. Right. So I heard recently by another clinician, um, ADD or ADHD was referred to as a dopamine heart um, deficit disorder. And what does that mean? Right. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter. And the reason dopamine and heart are connected is because um, dopamine is known as the feel good chemical and heart is something that you love. So it's easy to connect those two because it's like, what the hell does dopamine do? Well, if you think about um, like having a, like feeling passionate about something. I feel good about this. It You can connect dopamine and heart together and remember that dopamine is the feel-good chemical. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. So it's really um, one of the trademarks of ADHD is low levels of the neurotransmitter dopamine, low or high levels. It can be either one, as you'll see. Um, due to this irregularity in dopamine people with adhd are chemically wired to seek more i thought i was supposed to be reading this shit you got a lot of stuff uh, other stuff to read but adhd is not always in everyone you know, we see all these things with tiktok and da, 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 da. most people aren't connecting it back to dopamine and um a lot of and it should be because it's really this particular and there's other aspects to it it's not straight up just dopamine because dopamine doesn't act by itself in the body nothing does it always has friends and things it needs to work with but it's it's primarily 
um, focused around this particular neurotransmitter and dopamine is the cycle of motivation, reward, and reinforcement. Different than how you're processing information and storing information, which is on the autism side, this is on the motivation, reward, and reinforcement side. So um, if you'll continue on. Boston. <laughs> okay. Well, you didn't finish that one part. Um, dopamine mm-hmm. is the cycle of motivation, reward, and reinforcement. Isn't that what you just said? Yeah, but keep going. Okay. Difficulty holding on to the phonological and visuospatial information that doesn't simultaneously trigger the feel-good hormone dopamine. That make more sense? No. Let me read it again. Difficulty holding on to the phonological and visuospatial information that doesn't simultaneously trigger the feel-good... No, I don't understand. So if I say something to you and you're interested in it and it feels good to hear it, you'll listen to it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm interested in this. Okay. But if I start saying, you know, like, oh, I talked to his therapist and I've lost you. (laughs) I didn't trigger dopamine. Listening to what I was telling you didn't trigger your interest on a dopamine level. Then you were out. Have you ever seen Van Wilder? I'm pretty sure you forced me to watch it at one point. Yeah. What? Yeah. There's a part of the movie then they're trying to make money. Um, and there's like a, a, a detractive woman. She's holding an equation in front of her chest. Okay. And she, you know, and the guy's like X equals four. And she moves the board out of the way. And on, on her naked topless chest is the answer. Mm hmm. I think we, I, I'm just telling you, if if more answers <laughs> came topless, I think I would be far more attentive <laughs> learner. It would, it would trigger your dopamine response. I mean, That's right. clinically um, speaking. Speaking of which, blood flow. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so yeah, let's talk about what, hor- what, what the hormone dopamine regulates in the body. Okay. <clears throat> blood flow digestion, executive functioning, heart and kidney function, memory and focus, and reduced alertness. Yeah, either side of it. Mood and emotions, motor control slash movement difficulty, pain processing, pancreatic function and insulin regulation, pleasure and reward-seeking behavior, sleep, and stress response. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And like I said, dopamine doesn't work by itself. Um, a lot of things dopamine works with is like serotonin, the GABA, um, and there's a few others. But it's one of the more specific ones. So when we talk about like video games or scrolling through you know, social media and things, a lot of times we get stuck in those patterns because we're literally looking for dopamine hits. Like we're looking for things that are going to, ooh, make us interested or ooh, catch us this or you know, result in some sort of idea and motivation, something that gets us going. But you can have too much dopamine and you can have too little dopamine, and the effects are going to feel really familiar to many of you. Should I read these? Please. Having too much dopamine or too much dopamine concentrated in some parts of the brain and not enough in the other parts, 
linked to being more competitive, aggressive, and having poor impulse control. Leads to binge eating, addiction, shopping, and gambling. Really? Yeah. Low levels of dopamine have been linked to restless leg syndrome and fidgety extremities. Sorry. I just think of a wiggly wiener. (laughs) Depression and low emotional processing. Feeling tired, moody, unmotivated. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Do I keep going? Please. Sex and exercise. Sexercise. <laughs> and the nicotine in cigarettes can trigger dopamine. Not by any means am I saying, please go. Smoke it up. Please and don't. get down to business. Please don't. Please don't. I would say. Do seven push-ups, bang your ex, and smoke some cigarettes, and you're <laughs> going to be in dopamine center. Yes, but Central. not but not chemically healthy. So ex uh, nay on the cigarettes. Yes, that's I'm all not right. promoting it at all. Okay, I'm don't, just saying, don't smoke cigarettes. I'm just saying that but when we look back on the last however many years the tobacco industry has had a hold on us and why, not to mention the fact that nicotine is, of course, addictive. Um, why do so many models look unhappy? Because they're all coffee and cigarettes and they're probably banging their brains out. I have no idea. They must be exercising, right? Who knows? I couldn't even tell you. Okay. Keep going? Yeah. Sleep deprivation, obesity, drug abuse, saturated fat, and stress can reduce dopamine in the body. Mm-hmm. So don't... So get some sleep. Don't be fat. Don't abuse drugs. Don't abuse saturated fats. And don't get stressed. Or manage your stress. It's impossible to live without stress, but how we manage it is really important. But see, the thing about it is... When you look at the, when you look at how much lifestyle is in living in between too much dopamine and too little dopamine and how often you can kind of feel like you bounce between the two, it just shows you how critically important diet, your, your daily habits. When I talk about lifestyle, I mean, I know that word has a lot of meanings to it, but I'm, I mean it to mean like, what does your daily life look like? What is the style in which you live that life? Do you get up every morning and make coffee? Do you have a meditation practice? Do you go walking in nature? Do you have a treadmill? Do you run out the door? Do you have post-it notes? Like what is, you know, when, when do you grocery shop? Do you do that in person? Like those are the daily life decisions that you make to manage your world. And, and how often do we kind of live between these two parameters and we could easily be making these decisions that like push our brain to these extremes in different places. Now, I don't know how quickly we go back and forth between dopamine and ADHD. It's, it's not something I experience. I'm, I'm really calling on you to kind of help me understand that. But from an observational standpoint and how often I see both the too much and the too little dopamine hit you in like the same day. Now I'll see these in different parts of the day, granted, but I can see how too much screen time, too much fast food, um, sitting and stewing in your thoughts and things that you're not able to like move past or, you know, when you're just looking at things that are stagnant, I see how all that Um, adds up and when you understand that these are the reasons why forgetfulness and short-term working memory plague autism 
uh, sorry, ADHD, you can see how absolutely critical those lifestyle choices can become. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't have great memory. Working memory powers executive function. So we're talking about this today because executive function, as we've outlined all evening, is, you know, such an important part of how we self-regulate. And we know both autism and ADHD can have moments of self-regulation struggles. But if you are looking for your working memory to help you manage those moments, which is, um, you know, made more difficult by lack of sleep or if you're feeling uh, like if you're starting to get sick, your immune system's going through things. Basically, the best analogy I found is that um, working memory powers executive function the way that our maps, it's like loading the maps into your daily GPS navigational system. So like your working memory is the maps and your executive function is the navigation system. And if your navigation system turns on and there's no maps to go pull you, you know, and you don't know, like, okay, how do I turn left? I don't know how to get out of my own house. That's what this can feel like as I understand it. You tell me. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I only know what this is like for myself. Um, I know that I haven't slept well in probably four years. You know, I, I, I don't. Um, Are you blaming Declan? I don't blame. First of all. Are you blaming Declan? I don't blame. I just have not slept well for many, many reasons. And I can only, through that lens, start to get... I mean, you did get pregnant. That was your fault. Again with the blame. I was kidding. <laughs> Again with the blame. I think it's just called motherhood. But um, that's I'm just saying, in terms of relatability, like, I have the learning disabilities, right? Like, I don't, I don't learn... I don't read things. My brain does things differently. Now, ADHD and autism are not learning disabilities. Let's be clear. Um, But what I have are the learning disabilities. So my brain does some of these things in different ways. And it makes my ability to retain information a little jumbled, but, you know, in in slightly different ways. But it's just, um, it just has this common theme of how much effort, we need to keep putting into staying present so that in the moment our body is as facilitated as possible, meaning like we're not, we're not going through, you know, disrupting bodily regulatory challenges like digestion can throw anyone off. Like if you're, I mean, how well can you concentrate when your stomach is off? It depends because sometimes I'll be focusing on something like I'll be working on a piece of music or editing a video or you know watching a movie or something and then all of a sudden like the movie's over or I'm done working on the music and then I'm like or I'm done working on the video and I'm like oh shit I have to go to the bathroom right and it kind of snuck up on you yeah or I'm starving right now but sometimes digestive things just do sneak up on you like it's sometimes it's because you're ignoring your body, but sometimes it's because those things can hit fast regardless. Like digestive issues can just hit fast. They can. Yeah. But when you have to pee and then you're like, I've been holding this in. Oh, that's different. Yeah. No, I understand that. And then it's, it's like you come from a, like a wave hits you 
and then all of a sudden you're in the present time and you're not in this ethereal space where you were working on something. Right. And then, so it's not the same as just like, oh, it's, it really, it's hitting you as if it's hitting you for the first time. Right. And it's kind of like setting your brain into alarm. Now we've talked also about hyper-focus and hyper-fixation. And that's kind of the opposite of this, of course, because that's a place where you kind of tune out everything else and you just put your brain into that zone where you have the right amount of background noise or no background noise to distract. You have the, you know, all the, the temperatures are correct. The sensory environment is correct. You Hopefully you've eaten and your body is in a stable place and um, you've managed your stress environment. And, and so now you can, you've like checked everything else off the box and you can just go totally focus your mind on one topic without interruption so that you can attempt to keep all the information in your short-term working in that screen. We called it the, it's the blank screen. Like the Visio Spatial is a, it's basically like in your mind, it looks like a white screen. And as you're learning pieces of information, you're filling up that screen and then reorganizing it on that screen as a function of learning. And then how well and how well you're putting all that together then that helps you to produce a final product, whether that's something you're creating and you're just building all your talking points or whether you you see this vision for, you know, some product you create or some creative project. All of that takes shape without interruption, which allows your working memory to hold it. Because one of the things that can happen a lot with ADHD is that because dopamine, you know, neurotransmitters, all of our neurotransmitters, they kind of change throughout the day and they can change throughout functions. So it can make it more difficult to hold on to that information unless you really, really like being in it, you know, to kind of keep your brain revved up. So it's important to know how much your environment plays a role in all of this, how well you manage your environment as well as how well you're managing like your physical body. Both, because all of those things can, I don't want to say derail, but they massively influence, you know, working function and forgetfulness. It's not just that your brain's wired differently. It's that all of these external things have a greater impact on you as well. Does that make sense? I think so. You have a greater sensitivity to external stimuli or distractions because the sensitivity to your brain in terms of, you know, whether it's dopamine or how your body is handling um, the memory and the processing centers, you know, whether it's autism or ADHD, like those, those functions require just a bit more sensitivity and, and care. Like, I think you've got to put that into your self-care routine is to know that about just to know what it is that you need for your optimal performance. You're just staring at me. It's like, I don't know what else to. I need questions to prompt me. So. Fit B? No. Okay. What in your environment do you find to be the most helpful in terms of what we discussed? Oh boy. Like what's the most distracting for you? Like what takes you out of the zone? Do you know? 
What takes me out of the zone when I'm in the zone? Yep. Nothing. Nothing ever takes you out of the zone. I mean, I don't know. Loud noises, maybe like a dickhead driving by with a loud motorcycle or a car. Okay. Um, but generally, no. I, I just, my brain ignores those things. Like you were talking about not... Well, because I'll, usually I'll have headphones on if I'm working on a song or something or if I'm working on a video. I just... So you're proving my point. Kind of zone out. Right. So you've done everything you need to completely manage your environment to put your brain into a place where it's uninterruptible. Even headphones, putting that sensory pressure on your um, on your temporal bones. Um, you know, that's basically the right and left sides of the brain and, and the auditory processing centers right there and the auditory nerves. Like there's a lot of cranial compression that happens with headphones, not to mention the fact that you're blocking out all the peripheral noise. So you're doing exactly what I said. Like you're putting your brain in that bubble. Yeah, see, I'm smart. You are smart. No, I know. I'm just trying to get you to share more of how you're smart because I, I'm not sure you even know. Maybe you're right. You know what, Rochelle? Here's the problem with someone as smart as me is I don't think you'd understand. <laughs> Walked into that one, didn't I? Backwards, Ouch. butt naked and backwards. <laughs> but my, but that, that's, I mean, I don't disagree. I think that you, you said it earlier. You've spent so much time masking that I'm not even sure you know because um, one of the most difficult parts of self-reflection is to is to really look at yourself and be okay with discovering parts of yourself you might not like or you might not want to see. And um, the autism side, as we said, has that tendency to go into the freeze response and the disassociation, but that's also true with self-reflection. Sorry, I had a thought the other day. Okay. Um, when you, when a person is masking for their own reasons. Like to avoid punishment? Or no, to like to masking for the, for self-preservation. Okay. I call it masturbating. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I don't appreciate your fake laugh. <laughs> Not fake. Damn it. Okay. I stand by that statement. Oh, yeah? Am yeah. I supposed to put that in the YDSA dictionary? Yes, masturbating. Okay. You have to tell me how to spell it. Not tonight, but... Okay. M-A-S-K-U-R-B-A-T-I-N-G. Oh, Masturbating. Okay. okay. Well, well... It's exactly as you'd imagine it. Okay. I'll put it in the dictionary I'm creating. You masturbate until things come, things come to fruition. <laughs> okay. Okay. See? I a new phrase you can start sharing on social media. Look, I trust you. I, it's a world you live in. I Constant masturbation. Okay. There you go. There you go. Is there anything else to read? or? Nope. Um, no, just notes. No, but I thought it was really interesting how one was far, like ADHD is far more driven by neurotransmitter balancing. Um, and autism is much more about the crosstalk between two different parts of the brain and how those two parts of the brain function together. So really interesting. It's fascinating. I wish I understood it. <laughs> <laughs> I just live it every day. It's difficult to live it. I mean, what are some of the things I was one of the, when I was researching this, a lot of things that came up was like all the blogs and blogs and blogs of 
of helpful, quote unquote, helpful tips and tricks. And I don't know, I scanned through a bunch of them and I didn't find a ton that seemed to be really relevant. I think a lot of the things I saw looked pretty neurotypical. So I, I know everyone is different and for everyone, you just kind of have to try and see what does work for you. I don't know that there's something super produced that's going to make the biggest effort, uh, uh, make, make the biggest difference. Um, understanding the concept of how neuropathways are developed for yourself is probably the most helpful thing you can do. And then you have to adapt that into your own daily life. Do you know what I mean by that? No. Just meaning so the first time you do something, it's going to be awkward and clunky and you're not going to know what you're doing. And that's fine because you don't have, like your brain isn't used to this particular process before, whether it's a new thought process or a new... So we're constantly losing our virginities to new experiences. Yes, it is. No, that's absolutely You got to put it in my language, Michelle. Well, Sexy time. I I don't speak that language. So, um, but the second time you do it, it gets just a, like you coordinate just a little bit more of it. And then the third time you do it, you, you know, you start to get, okay, I'm starting to get a little bit comfortable here. And you can start to learn where to deviate and where to add to uh, it. Before you know it, you're doing butt stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I totally returned those popsicle molds, by the way. Why? Because you said the third one looked like a... <laughs> okay, so let me put this into context. So Rochelle bought these popsicle molds to, to make Declan... Obviously, you're making popsicles, so, but we're trying to make them like healthier options because he's obsessed with these mango pops, but they're filled with sugar. And so, you know, like one of them's like a penguin, and there's like a penguin shape one, and then like, like a, a little bear, little bear, and like a wolf or something. And then the other one is just three tiers. And you could argue that it's like a snowman, but there's no face on it or anything. It looks like a butt plug. So I made that comment a few times, and as she just said, Apparently, it was enough to make her send it back. I'm not even showing him. Yeah, you said you looked at it. I couldn't give him the butt plug flavored one. (laughs) It wasn't going to be flavored that way. It's just the most. Oh, it would be in my brain. No, I know. Well, I'm aware because you. That'd be uh, the first one I gave him. Yeah, I know because as well, uh, just as much as. Just to get rid of it. Just as much as autism has disassociative processes, you also have hyper associative (laughs) issues. Remember, it's like. rigid and repetitive thinking well in this case once you've assigned a memory and that's a meaningful memory to you to call that popsicle a butt plug i was like nope he's gonna call that every single time i've lived with you before i know how this is gonna work every single time you see it you're gonna call it the same thing so i returned it all right i'll look for other ones i have one on my uh, amazon wish list i saw that one so we'll buy that one instead okay um is there anything else w- with this subject that you want to cover, or did we cover everything already? I don't know. It's your subject. I mean, I just tried to help you with it. I mean, the only thing I would really... I don't even know if I would say I'm adding anything, but Rochelle's the one that did all the research here. I just live it on a daily basis. That's also... I, I mean, but don't minimize that, please, because there we go. it's a really big deal. Don't minimize the screen I just minimized? No, don't minimize the fact that you're living it. You have to remember bills. You have to remember, you have to remember an extraordinary amount of details. And if I we, do. If we go back and look at how many details a person had to remember, even twenty years ago, ten years ago, five years ago, it just continually changes. Twenty years ago, the things I had to remember, you're right, not as many because I was younger. 
It did, but even then, world was not as complex as we've made it now. We have this ability to make life super complex and we break it. The more the more complex it is, the more we break it. I didn't have any bills. No, I mean, life was easier. And that's partly why we've talked before about sometimes why there's so many late, mid to late life diagnoses is because some of these cracks don't show. And I just mean that figuratively, of course, but some of these challenges don't really show until life gets so big that you run out of capacity to juggle it all. And when you think about how important working memory is and how that powers executive function and executive function is the 10% of the brain that regulates emotions and regulates everything that isn't an automatic, you know, an autopilot part of your day, it's a huge freaking deal. It's a huge deal, including your ability to sleep to prepare for tomorrow. I'm sleeping fine now. That's good. Thank you. Why'd your voice get so high that just then? <clears throat> I don't know. Honestly, That's if, good. if you weren't sleeping, we probably would never have been able to, to even do episode one of this show because when you weren't sleeping, you could barely get through three or four o'clock in the afternoon the next day. Okay. That was about where your ceiling is. And we do the, you know, we record these late at night, so the sleep that you're catching up on has made a big difference for you. Yeah. And I would venture to say your sleep could even continue to improve. Well, I got to get some of that sexercise and smoking in. Please not with the smoking. That's I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think that covers it. I, I can't, I don't really have anything else to add. Was this what you were hoping? Did, would this cover some of the topics you were looking at? Yeah. You were thinking about it all? You nailed it. Okay. Cool. Well, as always, we'd love to hear from you about what your experiences are here and how you perceive your challenges and what you perceive your opportunities to be because um, each one of your experiences is different and important. That's right. You're important. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And mm -hmm. if they tell you otherwise, kick them in the balls. And if they don't have balls, what are you going <laughs> to do? Kick him in the vagina. <laughs> let's let's just stand your ground without kicking anyone. <laughs> I stand by the kicking. Okay. <laughs> Time for... You want to do it, Rochelle? Oh, no. News Minute! Queen Elizabeth II is dead. Right. Moving on. Uh, no. <laughs> she was 96, which means Prince Charles is now King Charles III. He is now the oldest person to become king in British history at age 73. I did find it interesting that on social media, a lot of different uh, people were, uh, you know, from Great Britain were being um, interviewed about what they thought about the Queen's demise. And most people didn't really care. Um, I'm not laughing, but I am a little bit. Just because it's such an outdated it's so outdated, the monarchy, you know? And uh, I think people realize that, you know, it's the, the what happened with the queen, um, her reign, I suppose, is that she, among others, were responsible for some pretty terrible atrocities. And if you live in one of the regions affected, then 
you understand what I'm saying? And, and I think a lot of people, just like with us, you know, like here in the United States, like, you know, you could be like, oh, the, uh, the United States does these terrible things. But as an individual, like, you don't have any control over that shit. You don't get to pick how things are, you know, we can vote, but that doesn't really, we don't get to vote. Thanks. Um, we don't get to vote on like when we go to war or any, or anything like that. We pick the fucking idiots that choose to send us to these places. And anyway, my, my whole thing is so she, she's dead and we have a king now. Not we, the, um, England as a king. Um, so who knows what's going to happen there? <laughs> he's the oldest king. I mean, that's 73 is like, shit, he's rivaling like our presidents and stuff now. Um, all I know is that I heard, um, a UK astrologer and I'm not getting into astrology, but he, I heard his assessment of this and that he said that the queen died during the, when the, the moon was void of course, which just basically means it's not moving. And that means that, um, unfortunately Prince or King Charles's reign is going to be um, short and challenging. So I hope that's not true for him. I wish him well. But Why? I don't wish anything poorly on anybody. I can't imagine. I, know, I just think like all of the colonization and everything that's happened because of England, you know, that I think it's, you know, it's great when you see someone that's, that's English and, and, and they're like, yeah, like we've done some terrible things, and this person is largely responsible for those th- those we things. We have many, yeah, we. But have. It's, so it it reminds me of of the United States, in that, like our president or our government will do something especially because the president knows isn't you know contrary well, to popular belief the president isn't responsible for everything that happens. Right. And so these terrible things will happen, like we'll go to war or whatever. And um, people are like, oh, the United States. It's like, no, 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 don't lump me in with it's not the a, government. It's not always a collective, right? There's still certain people. But she's not even part of the government. I know. I, they, I know. It's all. But we'll see what happens. I mean, this yeah. is it's monumental. It's been a big week in terms of that. There's been a lot of people transitioning off the planet lately. I, I must hear about two or three family members and friends if i i haven't made it through a single week in the last three weeks without hearing about um sometimes two to three a day but like five to six um deaths in close family circles family and friend networks and client networks in the last three weeks so i don't know it's just been a very big i'm i guess i'm my love goes out to everyone who may have lost someone in the last couple of weeks because it just seems like the number of people is larger than normal right now. Okay. Moving on. Um, this is, I'm just going to read this. This is from CNN Health, and it's uh, by Sandy Lamott. Walk this number of steps each day to cut your risk of dementia. Walking was in the news this week. Want to reduce your risk of, risk of dementia? Slap on a step counter and start tallying your steps. Which is funny because it's slap on a step counter. It's like, don't we all have step counters with our phones? Yeah. You'll need between 3,800 and 9,800 each day to reduce your risk of mental decline, according to a new study. People between the ages of 40 and 79 who took 9,826 steps per day were 50% less likely to develop dementia within seven years, the study found. Furthermore, people who walked with purpose at a pace of 
over 40 steps a minute were able to cut their risk of dementia by 57% with just 6,315 steps a day. It is a brisk walking activity like a power walk, said study co-author Borgia Del Pazzo Cruz, an an adjunct associate professor at the University of Southern Denmark in Odense, Denmark, and senior researcher in health sciences, sciences for the University of Cadiz in Spain. So dementia and Alzheimer's is largely uh, believed to be like diabetes of the brain. And diabetes, of course, is an insulin. I got a lot to read. Okay. Well, let me just say this. Sure. It's usually an insulin issue. Um, And if you remember from our ADHD category, insulin regulation was one of the things that dopamine regulated. Um, I don't know. So walking is one of the ways walking and exercising but briskly walking in particular pulls glucose out especially after you eat you were saying this last week with the mediterranean diet this ties right back in remember um that a brisk walk after you eat you were saying in, in the in the greek culture like they they oh, that's eat. why i brought this up because it right. i was like oh it's interesting because it pulls the glucose out of your blood and starts using you use it in your in your muscles and then in the brain it becomes if i remember this correctly I think it becomes, the glucose becomes glutamate, and glutamate is one of the neurotransmitters that helps to support um, dopamine and epinephrine and serotonin and um, the GABA, AMUR, GABA. So I think it all ties together. I I mean, that's really cool that you found that. Can I keep reading? Please. Even people who walked approximately 3,800 steps a day at any speed cut the risk of dementia by 25%, the study found. Well, good. That's me. I'm in that category. That would be enough at first for sedentary individuals, said Del Pazo Cruz in an email. In fact, it is a message that doctors could use to motivate very sedentary older adults. 4,000 steps is very doable by many, even those that are less fit, less fit. Get off the treadmill. Get on the treadmill. Get off the treadmill. That's not what I want to say. Or do not feel very motivated, he added. Perhaps more active and fitter individuals should aim for 10,000, where they see maximum effects. But there was an even more interesting result buried in the study, according to an editorial entitled, Is 112 the New 10,000? Published published Tuesday in JAMA Neurology. The largest reduction in dementia risk, 62%, was achieved by people who walked a very brisk pace of 112 steps per minute for 30 minutes a day, a study found. Prior research has labeled 100 steps a minute, 2.7 miles per hour, as a brisk or moderate level of intensity. 2.7 miles per hour is very slow. The editorial argued that individuals looking to reduce their risk of dementia focus on their walking pace over their walked distance. While 112 steps a minute is rather brisk cadence, 112 is conceivably a much more tractable and less intimidating number for most individuals than 10,000, especially if they have been physically inactive or underactive, wrote Alzheimer's researchers Ozioma Okonkwo and Elizabeth Planalp in the editorial. Okonkwo is an associate. Come on, come up with some easier names, people. Aconquo is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Planalp is a research scientist in Oquanco's lab. Um, I'm going to read really fast. Ah, where was I? Oh, shit. 
I lost my spot. <laughs> I've done okay. that. We do agree that this is a very interesting finding, said Del Pazo Cruz via email. Our take is that the intensity of a stepping matters over and above volume. Technology could be use technology could be used to track could be it should be used. Found the spelling error. To track not only number of steps but also pace and so these types of metrics can also be incorporated in commercial watches. Mm-hmm. More research is needed on this. Yeah, I'm I not agree. With read that. The whole there's not article. enough in there. Just track steps, like I and I don't know. I don't. I, there's so many different, um, you know, watch and activity bands at this point. I don't know what they all do or don't do. I just know mine doesn't do that. Mine just tracks steps. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. So I mean, yeah, get out there and walk, mm-hmm. and you'll be fitter, less fatter, and. Have better insulin. That's right. Um, and then get some exercise. Yeah. Uh, time for Pop Minute. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley, a.k.a. Beverly Hills Cop 4, began filming last week. The film stars Eddie Murphy as well as Joseph Gordon-Levitt. God help us. Can this be a good movie? Coming to America, the sequel, not the original. So Coming to America 2 was a train wreck in this reviewer's opinion. I love the first two Beverly Hills Cop films. I grew up watching them. The third movie was not very good, but still watchable for the sake of nostalgia. There has been talk of a fourth film for about 15 years now. Holy cow. But it is finally happening. Plot details are unknown at this time, but the film is set to be released on Netflix. Okay. My How Times Have Changed. It will not be getting a theatrical release. Jerry Bruckheimer is on board as the film's producer, which could be a good sign, as he also came back to produce Top Gun Maverick. Which is my new favorite movie. The difference there is that Top Gun was given a theatrical release, and this movie, as I said, will be going straight to Netflix. It's hard to say how the film will perform on the single platform. There is, as of yet, no release date for the film, but it's probably safe to say the movie will come out sometime at the end of 2023, at the very least at the beginning of 2024. Hopefully not that long. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's right. You did watch Top Gun Maverick. I did. I since did. Since we had an episode last. And I, what'd you think? I loved it. I watched it two Was nights I right? in a row. Yes, you were right. Yep. Well, I mean, you are Blake Buster. I mean, you've earned the, the title and the rights for a reason. I just, and it's not, it's not even that I was resisting and I wanted to watch it. I just don't go into that particular streaming app very often. And it wasn't in my daily routine. So it wasn't in the, you know, 80% of my autopilot. <laughs> and I kept forgetting about it. So you bugged me about it lovingly nudged me and then the next day someone else did and i was like oh okay so it was two nudges i got in a row and it was enough who was the other nudge from um a family member okay and so i was like oh okay that's two so then i remembered it oh i see so my nudge wasn't enough no i kept forgetting it wasn't enough no Mm -hmm. no it didn't nudge me out of orbit because the 80 to 90 percent of of my automatic (laughs) brain functions did not loop in that streaming account where all the, the movies are. So, But once I s- experienced the movie, I loved it. I went back and watched it the very next time. I want to watch it again tonight um, since I have nothing else to watch tonight. That's where I'm headed. It's you like, like, do you like that song? Because uh, I have that song now on my playlist. Yeah, I don't I don't connect to the, the music the way you do. Like, um, You have a way of doing that. 
I remember the scene visually, but I don't know what song played. You know what song I'm whistling? Not a clue. You know I can't play this game. It's got a whistle in it. That's great. I don't know what you've been told. I'm going to write something, 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 something. When they're playing football. I know the scene, but I don't know the song. And even if I knew the song, I wouldn't know I who made it. Like, it right unless it's country, I don't know how to play that oh, game. Oh, God. Anyway, that's good enough movie. of that. It was a good movie. But it was a good movie. Um, once it became part of my meaningful memories, then yeah, I, I'm in. All right, I'm going to say this really fast. Um, remember to sup- subscribe to the podcast and preferred platforms so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Join the Facebook group. Join the conversation. That's YDSA. You don't send autistic on Facebook. Welcome again to all the listeners from all over the world and everyone that's joined the Facebook group in the last couple of days. We really appreciate it. Check out you don't sound autistic.com where you can see episodes, episode show. Damn it. I said it again. <laughs> episode, sh- episode show notes. Sound like, like Sean Connery's kid. Um, episode show notes and links to reference materials and episode posts. Check out the brain hugs or shop to find the products we use to manage our daily lives. So again, if you go onto the, uh, the, the website and you see anything, or if you hear anything about, uh, books and different stuff like that, uh, on the show, we will post those things, check it out on the, on the uh, website and then, uh, we'll get paid for that, which so far no one's done. We're broke. Um, and and uh, I guess I don't have to go into the new listener spiel. Everyone knows that already since you've listened to this whole episode. Thank you so yeah. much for listening. I'm Blake. I'm Michelle. And we'll be back. Cue the music.